Hello and welcome to the Not Gay Podcast. I'm Tom Hatfield and we're here at the Radius Festival with Pip. Hello. That's um, Keith Stewart. Hello. And Guardian. And Jenna Thompson. Hello. Um, Keith, you've, you've organised most of this. I have. Um, Arthur hasn't been organised by George. Yeah, well, actually, I would say that. Organised, <laughs> I would say that George has probably done around 90% of the work. But yeah, we, we kind of. Well, we actually, we've, we've I've got a little sort of production team now. We're very, we're very uh, kind of efficient about it after E2 that we did last year. Um, and yes, yeah, so we've got, uh, we've got uh, Tra- Tracy King and James Dance, who does the bar, who hosted it last year, and Andy Payne from Mastertronic's been really helpful as well. So we've got this little team together, this A-team of uh, indie events. Yeah, and you've got, the, you've got um, Arabic Gamers helping out with the stream? Yeah, yeah, we've got uh, Tamir from Arabic Gamer, who's doing all the filming for us. So, uh, so that's been really, really good as well. Like, we did a four-hour live stream last night, like, interviewing all the developers. And oh, we had so many problems. We had sound problems. We had demos that wouldn't work. And uh, I just felt like it's not one of those occasions where you feel like you're in a house and it's burning down, and all you've got is like one bottle of Evian water. Um, Other bottled waters are a yeah, <laughs> yeah. Although that is the best for putting out fires. Like really big house fires. All you need just one bottle. Scientifically proven. If you've got where most of their problems come from. Yeah, exactly. They license it out to the uh, fire gates of France. Uh, this has taken a different turn. Yeah. I'm very glad you got me on now. Uh, so, so yeah, but it's been brilliant. It's been really, really busy and fun. I think. How does it feel different to last year? Um, feels a lot cooler than last year. Last year we were in the loading bar in Soho, which is like a two very small snug bar with a very, very small downstairs section. It was and, an album. Yes, it was. A, a, it was a, an album, um, and it just felt it was like it was nice. It had a really kind of intimate atmosphere about it. But this is a really big open space and get lots more people in um, so it's felt it's kind of felt more inclusive even though it's a bigger venue because um, all the developers are closer together we don't have like the side sections at all everyone's in one big room so we can pass from game well, to game there, there is a little VIP room oh yeah yeah we've got a little <laughs> VIP room on the side where Mike Bithel is uh, taken out because Mike Bithel trip people up on their way in and on their way yeah <laughs> both times yeah well he is one of the sponsors uh, together with Sega and Mastertronic I should point out uh, so, yeah I was going to say because uh, obviously I know Ten Second Ninja and Bob Tyson and they're both good published by Master Channel. Yeah, so yeah, I exactly. I kind of feel like the sponsors VFM. Yeah. yeah. But mostly I think it's where we people went when they got a little bit too hot. <laughs> yeah. 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 But yeah, it's, and um, yeah, in fact, Sega haven't given me any games, so they've just sponsored it, which is very nice of them. Here, yeah, have our money, we, but we don't want to give you any games. That's, so there you go. Did you query that? To be no. Honest, no, no. <laughs> well, I would have liked. It would have been great to have something because they've got some really like, like interesting iPod right? and phone, uh, iPhone games. And I really, I really wanted to get um, uh, the um, Oculus um, Alien Isolation demo, which was one of the kind of like unsung hits of E3. Every journalist that I know that played that came staggering out of the demo hall like terrified petrified in a cold sweat you should have just scooped up a creative assembly representative in a net and brought him back uh, yeah yeah I'm, apparently I'm not allowed to do that anymore the court court rules what? yeah no more scooping up developers in nets <laughs> <laughs> so it's ruining games I know it's so, killing yeah. it so it's a shame that's not here but that's not to put down anyone like who was here yeah some really cool stuff yeah there's some there's, yeah there's been amazing games I mean we had um, a guy I came over from France yesterday with a game called Macho Party which is this brilliant like WarioWare style mini game collection for iPad 
and he launched it at midnight last night and then got on the plane and came here to show the game and then went back early this morning. Fun as well. So I was playing it while you were chatting to him, and like, oh, yeah. yeah, like it's, it lets you take a picture of your sort of happy face for winning and your sad face for losing and your normal face for everything else. But it was, you know, like just really well implemented and sort of really joyous, and yeah, it does that, that thing. Gemma, because I, I didn't, I didn't actually play that yesterday, and then I saw it on live stream. I was like, wow, I really should have gotten to that. Well, it's now it's released. So. Yeah, it's, I mean, it makes really nice use of like what we're seeing a little bit more of now is, is uh, iPad developers who are using the touchscreen for local multiplayer in quite interesting ways because it is a really it's a really cool little space because it's very physical and very intimate because you're both of, if you're playing against one other person or even two or three other people your fingers are very close together so it's very touchy it's kind of like miniaturised twister and he's, and uh, it uses that um, that kind of feel very well and so does actually on a bigger scale uh, Alistair Aitchison was showing off Tap Happy Sabotage today which is uh, again a collection of mini games for I think it's one to eight players but it works on uh, big touchscreen monitors but he puts them uh, he puts them down on the table and, um, and yeah again it's very kind of savage quite physical multiplayer games where you have to push each other out of the way to it's almost like air hockey but yeah yeah exactly one of the games is like that but yeah there's lots of things there's lots of ways you can sabotage other people's experiences he's really interested in that kind of physical almost aggressive dynamic between players that happens off the, off the screen so. I played it on an iPad some time ago and unfortunately didn't get to play the larger screen version but the iPad one like I say it was quite intimate but in that case particularly savage yeah like, fingers were not broken obviously but <laughs> getting close yes yeah yeah, he, I mean, fingernails he, not welcome no, no he's a man he's created this kind of genre all by himself of like very physical touch based games his uh, game before that um, well his first game Greedy Bankers versus the World was a very similar thing where you had to fight over piles of money and, um, yeah it's very interesting Sounds like the sort of thing that might be um, equally at home at something like um, Wild Rumpus. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, I think Wild Rumpus has had a really interesting influence, I think. On, like, go, coming back to E3, you're seeing lots more co op games now, and the, you know, the mainstream developers are doing, even though it's not local multiplayer. People have, I think, picked up from things like Wild Rumpus, this idea that actually people do like to be in the same room and play together, and you know, there's a, there's a certain dynamic there. So, we're seeing, I think, you know, I saw some interesting modern play games at E3 which use that. I think it's that thing of um, people have sort of, because of the advances in technology and like with Steam and, you know, sort of uh, voice comms that you can use, people have sort of maybe drifted away from playing on the sofa with their friends, but there is still very much a space for that, so it's just finding ways to reincorporate it using the technology. That we have around us now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, if you look at like what Ubisoft are doing with um, Tom Clancy's The Division, and also really interestingly, what they've done with Far, Far Cry 4, in that you can actually have drop in multiplayer with a friend who doesn't own the game. They can download a client and they can, they can play with you. It's like, really interesting, fascinating use of the technology. Yeah, it feels like a digital version of lending the game or just, just playing it around someone's house. It's like you don't have to even go to the house anymore to try the new game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like you're sharing. I mean, which is a very, which is obviously marketing. I mean, I know. I remember Mario Kart doing it back on the DS. Yeah. Um, so, but it never really took off from beyond there. So, we'd love to see other people latch onto that idea. Yeah, exactly. And if you, you know, if you remember, actually, when the Xbox One was originally announced, this was going to be a big part of, of the of the offering because it was all they had very much envisaged digital distribution as being the main way of getting Xbox One games and and as a sort of counter to. Every 
everyone's complaints that, oh, no, I can't sell my used games anymore. They were saying, ah, oh, but with, with our new system, you'll be able to share games with your friends and you won't have to board them. So, Bits and pieces of that happening with Steam as well, with like, um, family sharing yeah. and home streaming and things like that. Yeah, I mean, I think they've learned a lot, obviously, from social networks. I bet they've all been to, like, Facebook and Twitter conferences and watched, yeah, w- watched smart, young San Francisco scallywags telling them how people share everything these days and they're trying to inter- bring that into games. I can say, um, you mentioned, like, local multiplayer. Is that because I used the word scallywags? I think you never sounded less young. <laughs> these uh, social media rap scallions. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, oh, okay then. I'm very much the rap scallion era. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say that um, you mentioned local multiplayer. Obviously, we had a lot of um, local multiplayer and twin stick shooters around the last couple of days. I thought. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's obviously yeah Tango Fiesta. Uh, there was um, Nuclear Throne. There was um, in the, Space We Brawl. Yeah, in Space We Brawl, which was really good, really slick. Intro from a very small studio in Italy. That was really nice. And also uh, Friendship Club as well from a, um, yeah that was from Clockwork Games in Bristol, which is really good. I don't know how to go up there. That's, that was really good. It um, reminded me a little of Towerfall in that they limit your ammo and have this thing where you can try and dash into bullets to grab them. Yeah, and you most of the time mess it up. Yeah, they've got a head, and there's a like I don't know if you, if you if you're maybe too young to have played Goldeneye. I don't know, but um, they had a. Oh, please. <laughs> oh, I will, I will take this down. <laughs> well. You all remember then in Goldmine I was a slap smoke. Yeah, all you get had to beat each other with slaps, which is the most hilarious thing, especially yeah, at four o'clock in the morning. Two minutes. <laughs> and then at you four o'clock in the morning. With, yeah, exactly. Um, but there's a version of that in Friendship Club where you can only headbutt each other to death, which works really well. So. But I love the premise. The premise of the game is that it's all set in the uh, mind imagination of a, of a small boy. And when he goes to sleep, all of his imaginary friends do conflict with each other to see who can become his best friend for the next day. Oh, I love that. So, yeah. yeah, there's some really cool modes in there as well. There's one I really enjoyed, uh, which was Trick Shot, where you're just not allowed to move. And so the only way to hit people is to... Because their bullets bounce infinitely is kind of the big thing of that yeah. game. Uh, so, yeah, you have to get people by bouncing your bullets around corners and stuff like that. Yeah, that's really good. And at least you only got, like, three, two. <laughs> yeah, and they've got... Um, yeah, there's a good uh, bullet time mode as well. You can slow the speed down to 25%, so the cars go really, really slowly. So that's great. So, yeah, that's very good. Then. Yeah, I, I was actually having a conversation with uh, Louise James during the course of this. Just, we agreed that what's nice about here is that there's very much, you're looking around the games and they feel very much like proper video games in, in heavy inverted commas, but the, the sort of things that you do just drop in and have a laugh with. And yeah. twin stick shooters, like, it feels like there's been a bit of a, a darker than lately and then just kind of like, just suddenly, I'm not sure if I'm using the word properly there. Um, but yeah, it's, it makes, it seems to be making a comeback. Yeah, it's quite, quite, it's quite pleasant. Of, yeah, it's funny. Indie development kind of goes in waves, doesn't it? Like two years ago, there were loads of twin stick shooters, and then suddenly everyone kind of moved on, and now they're back again. Yeah. I think, yeah, one of the reasons is probably because it, they're a reasonably good place to start an indie development with, yeah. with because they're, you know, it's a contained area, it's one screen. 
Um, you know, it's, it, it's well-known mechanics. It's probably they go well with local co-op as well, of yeah. local multiplayer, which has been taking off. I think, I don't know if someone suggested, I never actually checked, that part of the reason that uh, local uh, multiplayer suddenly exploded with indie games is just that stuff like Unity and Game Maker suddenly started supporting it, and everyone was like, oh, I've got to try this now. Oh, yeah, yeah, probably, yeah. <laughs> because on the flip side, networking this sort of thing is incredibly oh, yeah. hard. So it's, well, I it's suppose if you keep it on multi... If you keep it local, I guess that makes it easier. I mean... Um, there's a Dan Marshall wrote a really interesting thing about how hard it is to make a online multiplayer game as an indie because you just have, you have to have this saturation of people online in order for someone to in order for the proverbial person who, who wants a game at 2am to be able to find someone yeah. yeah oh yeah because he yeah with his game was it uh, Gunman Gunman yeah he, he found he wasn't getting anyone which is local part but he also put online support but just found that he couldn't sustain the number of people for it yeah, yeah. yeah. which is a shame because it's a really good game you need something like, you know, a sort of remote scheduling kind of thing almost, or saying, you know, we're running it for a particular period of time. In fact, yeah, it does kind of work with something like Frozen Synapse, which is Frozen Enzo, which is here today, because it's asymmetric, because it requires everyone to be around at the same time. Yeah, but it's interesting. I mean, everybody in the industry is trying to get around this whole problem of the kind of isolating infrastructure online, that you have to go through these interminable um, lobby systems and... And you, you're sign up you're, to each different games developers that you Yeah, stuff. Exactly. Yeah, that's a They should have been trying to play online by ten years ago. Yeah, yeah, but, uh, but they don't have to pull reports anymore. Yeah, well, I, you know, if you look at something like Destiny, what they're doing, you know, the whole of Destiny, the whole innovation behind Destiny is the fact that it's kind of seamless single-player multiplayer, and you don't have to worry about lobby systems anymore. You don't have to worry about trying to find other people to play. It's all about making that as invisible as possible. Because as soon as lots of people, you know, for most users, as soon as you get into a lobby and you're waiting for other players, you've got to find other players, especially if you, you know, if you've got to try and find servers or anything like that. It's totally alienating for most people. Well, this has been a really frustrating thing for me because I've been trying to play the dungeons in the world. So you wait around, in, you can wait in the world while you're doing other things for the actual sort of dungeon. But then once you're in there, if someone drops out, you're just sort of stuck there while you wait for another person to turn up and then someone starts an argument with someone else and then they get kicked from the party and then you're like, I'm going to have to get again, are it's like literally being in a teenager's party. And like, when one person leaves, can I leave the kitchen by myself? Do I have to wait here for someone else? Is it okay for me to drink the cider? <laughs> um, I was going to say, just to try, I guess, get things back to radius. Yeah. Um, but, uh, what you said earlier about the spaces, I think, really, really important. Because it was, it was really jumping off. Everyone was next to each other. You've got extremely famous indie developers like uh, Rami Ishmael from Blambia just standing next to people who I, I haven't heard of before mm. they might be really famous for all I know but next to that um, small Italian people yeah, 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 exactly yeah, the, the space ball uh, developer yeah, who, who they and, um, and Rami was playing his game in fact Rami I don't think went near nuclear frames the entire time he was here he was like going around yeah. and meeting everybody and I think there's such a collision of different type uh, different developers like um, uh, for instance, we had Victory at Sea. Victory at Sea, yeah. Is just a, uh, which is a like naval war game. Yeah. Which 
you wouldn't say can kind of fit in with the ethos of everything else here, but uh, they were hanging around over everyone was playing each other's games, and it's actually worked really well, I think. It's quite yeah, fun. yeah, definitely. Like what we definitely didn't want to do with Radius was create a was create a kind of hipster <laughs> hipster event where you can only you know only games that are, that are, you know explored issues through pixel art could would be allowed in. That was never what we wanted to do. So, like, how did you decide on the roster then? And how did you divide them up across the days? Um, I think that was um, mostly, to be honest, that was George. But I think what he did was, I mean, we got something like I don't know, we got over a hundred submissions. And anyone that showed a video which get, which had gameplay in it, which showed us that there was some kind of confident idea behind it, and people that could convince us that they could come here and show off the game and that it would work. I think pretty much those people got in, and then, and then after that, we just tried to get a good distribution of different types of games. And so, yeah, I mean, Victory at Sea, you probably wouldn't, you know, you probably wouldn't get a lot of other sort of independent games uh, events. I really but, enjoyed it actually. Yeah, yeah I think a lot, I think a lot of people might just pass, uh, walk past it because it could look kind of intimidating because those kind of things you expect to be very slow paced. But it was actually very snappy, and it's got this whole like open world thing, which works kind of like Sid Meier's Pirates, but with a Second World War destroyer. Yeah, yeah, and you can just rove the the, uh, the seas in your in your great big destroyer, and just take out enemies where you found them. It was like exploration, and uh, yeah, I quite liked it. I should say as well because um, I mean the table we're sitting at right now earlier had um, you are the reason why Laura Dale was on yep. the podcast a lot of times. Was making her first game in RPG Maker and Counter Spy, which is actually being published by Sony yeah, which is a really slick looking uh, sort of 2.5D shell uh, shooter and obviously yeah, so you've got yeah, someone making their first game for the first time in a very um, simple tool and then something actually it's not Laura's first game isn't it she released another one yeah she's one of the smaller ones but yeah it's yeah. the first time really presenting the game because yeah. the rest of it's been through um, itchy yeah. yeah something that's actually been published by one of them exactly and the ironic thing is Canspire actually weren't, weren't we never knew they were going to be coming here they didn't they didn't apply <laughs> he just the guy just turned up to see Rami and we said oh, you've, got your, you've got your game you can show it we've got half a table for you and he said fine <laughs> and he set up his game and put some posters up and he was away so and that's another good thing about it show, but you came along with posters and yeah no <laughs> it just goes everywhere with them. <laughs> you never know where there, where there might be a festival the I do love the fact that the developer of Counter-Strike snuck his game <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly yeah but that's that is the wonderful magic of independent games festivals I guess you know you never know you, you know you don't you don't know what's going to happen I'm going to actually take some pictures of these posters and put them on the show notes because they are really beautiful yeah they're very good they're kind of like Soviet propaganda images aren't they I've loved the different aesthetics because again going back to Picture at Sea having that in the same place as Tango Fiesta yeah. talking to Andrew Smith is basically like he was saying that his rivals for colour palettes are rather small these days they're basically just trying to inject as much colour into it as possible yeah. and Picture at Sea has got this quite realistic thing going on yeah I think yeah, Tango Fiesta is, a, is what a video game would look like if it was, de- if it was designed by a 14 year old boy in 1986 <laughs> yes uh, and uh, you know completely Completely un, you know, unselfconsciously. It's, it's fantastic. I mean, I say you've got Catspo, which looks like a weird mix of Russian propaganda posters yeah. and the opening credits to James Bond movies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's which the 1930s kind of um, art deco studio modern thing as well. And then on the more serious side, again, on the other side of uh, Counter Spy, we had a Motorsports Manager, which is uh, one guy. It's a very similar story to Sam Reed, who made New Star Soccer. Um, one guy, absolutely. 
infatuated with the sport, knows he can't make an F1 3D simulator. So he's come up with this game where you manage a uh, kind of Formula One Grand Prix team, recruit drivers, set up a youth academy, set up a design studio, and then you compete and manage your drivers in a series of like F1 races. And yeah, it's just one guy. He worked in mainstream development, saved up money, was, in, was actually employed at Kuju, and he, he was given his job by Sean Murray, who later went on to form Hello Games. And Sean inspired him to sit off on him by himself and make his own game. And so he's sitting here, um, sitting right there, uh, showing off Motorsports Manager, which looked really nice and slick. But again, probably like Victory at Sea is not the sort of thing you'd expect to see at an indie festival. But it looks well, I, lovely. I didn't get a chance to play that, but I, I was just showing it was really interesting. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not a huge motorsport fan, but I. Uh, I, but I like management games I'm one of those people who's played out hundreds of hours of football manager so that I kind of like the idea of, take, uh, of taking a step back from a sport and seeing it from the sort of organisational yeah and it's quite simplified because it's only for iPads at the moment and, uh, and smartphones so he's not gone really really in depth so it's fair. It's it's anyone can play it. I think the whole idea is quite intuitive. So it's not you know you're not you're not micromanaging uh, uh, suspension springs or anything like that. So, but it looked quite good. Yeah, I think it's cool. I was going to say we're only halfway through the festival though, as we record that. So I was just yeah. wondering, like, what there is coming up uh, tomorrow as well. Given that we won't have played it yet, but there could be some absolute gems that you know about. Yes, <laughs> I should know, shouldn't I? <laughs> Sorry, if I just completely. Uh, Tango Fiesta's going to be here again. Amazing. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think. Who, uh, yes, you have dropped me. There is some stuff that's been here. All, all, uh, it's going to. Well, it's been here two days. I assume it's going to be here all three. Like Oli Oli and No Hero, like Volume. Um, yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, um, Orbitalis, uh, Alan Zucchini's, Zucchini's game. Um, I'm trying to think of what is new tomorrow, but I cannot think. Of it. Okay. But you can, yeah. If, if I might just interject, I am showing tomorrow's. So oh, yeah. well, there you go. Yes. Yeah, I've got my um, prototype, which is based on my, a Global Game Jam build that we're basically just flinging at people to try and get their feedback. So they're called the Co-op Game. So, I was uh, actually I've been amazed the amount of people who've said um, both here and at the last like big festivals out of rest that yeah was, this was originally a game jam idea or we've been yeah. working on this for about a month <laughs> um, just yeah um, there's a real answer something get, getting quick ideas out there yeah. something made yeah in um, our case we kind of came up with a mechanic that we wanted people to respond to immediately going for a festival sort of thing so it's been really great having events like Radius to basically play test this early concept and then try and get it out yeah we, we were talking about this last night when we were doing the live stream actually the, the fact that actually major studios now are, well have been for the last couple of years really learning from this kind of idea of using game jams it's like you know iteration processes and a brainstorming sessions so obviously double fine with its amnesia fortnight where staff allowed to work on what they like two weeks yeah but first of all similar well back then yeah where they basically gave everyone a week to prototype a feature for Skyrim or something yeah yeah Mind Candy does um, they do like a uh, a little kind of almost like little music festival but people can go up and pitch during the day to the, to the process of Mind Candy Boston Studios yeah they do a game jam every single month so um, so yeah there's obviously there's everyone's found value in this idea that actually great games don't come about through a group of 52 people sitting in a room for two months they come from making something in the day yeah I'm quite a fan of the design constraints there basically forcing people to come up with an idea within 
to be honest, it's usually within the first eight hours rather than the first hour, but still, you then got this thing that's like, right, immediately we've got to work out the scope. And you come up with a, a rather pure nugget of an idea. Yeah. You have to communicate it to the rest of the group within what is then like 30 hours. Yeah, exactly. And just, that, that really ends up with a purity to it, I think. Yeah, and I think it, yeah, it forces you, because I, I did a game jam a couple of years ago, with a, but I was, I was helped. It was a student... It was a um, game developer uh, journalist swap. So game developers became journalists and wrote about what we made. And, but the journalists, because we're idiots and we can't code, uh, we get, were actually assigned student coders who helped. And so I was working with this guy called Theo, who's brilliant. Um, but yeah, you immediately realise we can't mess around with massively ambitious plans. You have to come up with something pure and then just iterate, 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 polish, polish. So yeah, but I think it only really works for kind of games which are based around mechanics and systems. But yeah. I don't think you're going to ever make a, a 50-hour RPG that that comes from a game jam. So, but yeah, it's, it's interesting for games that are based around systems. Ooh, um, just trying to think of some other interesting things I've seen here. I've, I've had a terrible tendency both of those last two days of hearing about something really cool that I'm then realising that I've missed out on it. Like, I didn't play Kingdoms yesterday and then I saw it on the live stream and that looked really interesting. Yeah, yeah, I didn't play that either, unfortunately. Well, this might actually still be around. They were around today, so it might be worth following them and seeing if they've got their iPads in mind. I may have leant over their shoulder and said, Kingdoms guy, maybe taking their iPad off and played it for a while. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was really Around something you get with your things of your own colour, switch colour. Essentially, all of their colours have to be connected, so if you manage to cut off a section, then it all goes to your colour and you get like a, a, another go. Yeah, I mean, just because during the time uh, the uh, drive stream, you compared it to go, which I was really into when I was about 17 ish. Um, which, yeah, sounds really interesting. It's yeah. called, uh, it's, that actually just reminded me of something go called a uh, code fight, uh, where you've got something where you could both repeatedly take each other and create a stalemate for infinity and the solution to it is to create is for one person to try and put pressure somewhere else on the board so that the other person is left with a decision of which side to sacrifice yeah, I think that's probably what William and I should have been doing, or like there would be an equivalent perhaps in that game, but obviously like five minutes just trying to like huddle around it, we hadn't, we hadn't got to that point. You can't develop your yeah. more sophisticated thinking in that, in that space. Busy with bird balls, so yeah, of course, yeah. Very cool. In every way. <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm, I'm really hoping that we can somehow put the uh, William Hume appearance on our Twitch live stream somehow onto YouTube because it was quite quite thing. Okay, okay, so it's just archived. Yeah, I think more people have got have got to see that. Yeah, it was yeah. quite yeah. I only heard it by hearsay, but I ended up bumping into David Hayward, um, like, last night, and just the stories he was telling, it, it, it sounded awesome. Yeah, it was quite fun. They, yeah, I, I don't know what the live stream would have looked like from the other side, with the repeated cutaways and stuff, but it was pretty amazing from where I was at. I think... I think mo- most of what people are going to hear from when they're watching it is just the sound of Alan Hazeldean laughing incredibly loudly yeah. in the background. He's in tears. Yeah, I know. I sort of looked up and I sort of saw that. That's incredible. But yeah, he was. Yeah, he'd been tweeting about it as well. So yeah, that was funny. Yeah. Is that your top moment so far? Do you reckon? I think so. Yeah, that was good fun. We learned nothing about. We learned quite a lot about bird ball. We did actually. Yeah. But it's just the fact that you learned quite a lot about William's sense of humour. Yeah, exactly. Just the fact that Philippa was sitting there with a laptop open, just with her head over the laptop, with just this ball like. I was trying to play it. I was trying to like work out how to because I managed to get the birds in to stalemate. 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 Yeah, your life is about stalemate. If I was your therapist, I would say. Which you basically are. For a second, I thought you suggested stalemate jam. Yeah. But yeah, hey, I was yeah, trying to do that thing where I was trying to like, um, you know how in real porn on which this game is not based, um, you could like hit the ball at, at a slight angle or at speed and yes. it would send it sort yeah, of off yeah. at an angle. But I couldn't seem to quite get out of the horizontal back and forth that I've got into. I don't think William has put any so, of those dynamics into it. I'm going to email him and just see whether he can like, maybe the beta. Yeah, maybe. You might iterate on it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yes, there's, there's I think work that needs to be done with that game, mm. I feel. Mm. Yeah. I'm enamoured with the idea of stalemate jam now. Just, just create games which both players just walk away disgusted. <laughs> yeah, 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 that'd be good. It's like I was, yeah, it would just be the frustration jam, yeah. sort of the unfulfillment. Jam. Uh, yeah, but I think I would love to see the, the stalemate being used as a theme. I think that'd be fascinating. Yeah, because then you could just life You could just turn it into like global thermonuclear war, whatever it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just make that into a game jam. Yeah. <laughs> that would be good. Well, that's your next project. Yeah. <laughs> next year, start a game jam. Yeah. I'm amazed you haven't run a game jam considering the amount of other adventure I know. Well, me and me and Carl are going to do. We're, we're going to do the fla- um, flowers to women's game jam, but we just uh, then I got uh, ridiculously busy with other things and couldn't do it. But we really wanted to do a game game jam about. Um, yeah, some of the things that people had said about masculinity and sexism in Grand Theft Auto and other games, and we just thought it'd be really interesting to explore that in a game jam and get people to make games about it. And uh, yeah, we had it all planned, and then unfortunately, I was just, I was just too busy. And, and now Carl is wandering, wandering the earth, like in Kung Fu. <laughs> the I should say, by the way, actually, Carl has been obviously been on a long hiatus from the podcast while she wanders the earth. Um, but I, I think we're going to be able to get both her and Craig back for the 50th podcast. This is 46, isn't it? I think it's you know, 46. I never know what number we're on. <laughs> I don't think I said it at the beginning, but oh, it's still okay. 46. Oh, okay. Um, so in the, hopefully in a month's time we'll actually be able to get the old tracker down yeah. somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we need the nerds, Keith. We need the nerds. Yeah. <laughs> I had to relinquish the nerds. <laughs> oh, did anyone have a cocktail from the Minecraft robot? Yes. I did. Oh. It was really good. 
that, I think that's incredible. And do you know the backstory behind that? Well, there, there's, um, I mean, the, mine, the Minecraft cocktail bot was actually built for a robotic cocktail. Cocktail robotics festival. Yeah, it's called um, Robo Exotica. There's an entire cocktail robotics festival. Yeah, it's been going on for like a decade and a half. 15 years, yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah, so uh, yeah, people compete to come up with the best robotic cocktail distributor. And uh, yeah, and in fact, there's now... Why are not there instead? Yeah, <laughs> I know. And for the last five years, there's been a version in San Francisco as well called Barbot. And yeah, so it's people create robotic... Mostly they're just kind of production lines. So you'll get a mechanised production line where you put in what ingredients you want and it will go along through past the spirits bottles that will be squirted in. And then a robot arm at the end will stir the cocktail for you. But, I guess um, part of that... Um, that's probably part of what's happening inside the uh, yeah. cocktail bar. Yeah, where, where we can't see because the, <laughs> the drink comes out of a pipe that sticks out of the dish. I thought it was actually just a yeah, it's like a teeny tiny dog cruise. Just <laughs> a little in there. Oh, it's like the mechanical Turk. You know, that whole... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, no, it's just a barman that you've trapped. Yeah, trapped. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, shocking yeah, rumor. It's yeah. a, a really cool and obviously in this case. It's the interface that's interesting it, is that you put these blocks in on Minecraft and it reads them and then outputs it as a cocktail. That's so right, like yeah. One block is like, I think they said one block is like a centiliter. It's a centiliter, yeah. And then you've got eight different blocks, four fruit juices and four alcoholic drinks, and you arrange them into a, into a sequence of eight, and that's eight centiliters of drink. So you could have a drink that was just gin, vodka. Uh, they've got, an, they've got an, um, a Venetian, no... Uh, Chili liqueur? Chili liqueur, yeah, from the so, Austrian. See, this was my problem, unfortunately, is that I uh, there's no undo in this. No. So I accidentally put down rum and chili liqueur, and then I was like, those, those don't go together. I'm just going to put as much juice in as possible and hope it's okay. Yeah, it, it wasn't. It wasn't. wasn't no. <laughs> I think that chili liqueur. Is... Yeah. Was, that, was that all right? I don't know. I think Chili Liqueur is like the ender dragon of the no, drink scene. No, it's very nice. Oh, really? Yes. Mm. I quite a nice uh, rum and uh, pineapple. Mm. I think I chucked in a bunch of other fruits as well. But basically, this is the first thing I tried when I came off the tube after like, having a massive suitcase around two radios. should happen every time you get on the tube. I just like treated by a friendly gentleman yeah. in a lab coat offering me cocktails out of a pipe from a PC case. It's, yeah. What's not to like? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Dispenses the drinks from a floppy disk uh, drive, which means you know is, is the perfect use for such things. Yeah, definitely. There are any floppy disk drive computers there? No, exactly. Replace them all with drink dispensers. Yes. Well, yeah, and um, I love the fact as well because um, you wanted it to be family friendly. If you only have fruit cocktails, the little light on the front shows green, so that's safe. But if you put in any um, if you put in any alcohol, it goes red. So parents know when inevitably this is in every household. But I think this is what they're picturing. Yeah. Well, at the moment there has, there's, a, there's a guy there, you know, monitoring it at all times because you know you have to pay him for the drinks. Yes. Exactly. And <laughs> they haven't automated that process. No. no. It's been minded by someone Right. It's probably he's probably drunk it all now. Rum, 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 rum. He's broken the rum button. <laughs> So yeah, yeah, but that's interesting. You don't often get that. You don't get that at E3. Yeah. No, I thought you had a Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although actually, that was the weird thing. Is that I, as we were saying on live streams, there's actually a weird, really quite a lot of crossover between um, stuff that was at E3 and stuff that was here because. Um, 
Kempspy was there. You said her yeah. typical boyfriend was. Uh, oh yeah, her typical boyfriend was there. Yeah, in the dev- but it was in the car park outside E3. Devolver. <laughs> so this is the thing. Knowing Devolver, did they put it in the car park outside E3 because they weren't allowed in, or because they wanted to seem like? It didn't I seem think. Like the, yeah, <laughs> I think it's one of the two. They're kind of. They really are. They're, they're, they're indie baby rock star. Aren't they? You know, we're going to do things our way, yeah. and uh, if that means setting up two m- uh, mobile homes in the car park of Hooters opposite E3 then that is what we're going to do and uh, it worked out quite well I think I mean I, I went over there they were doing barbecues through the day and you got to, I mean I played Hotline Miami 2 in a caravan in a stifling heat still drunk from the night before and you know it's the perfect scenario to experience that game I wouldn't have been at all surprised if someone had come in with a chicken hat on and slaughtered me <laughs> That stopped everything dead. Yeah, I can't really think of what else to say. Well, has anyone else enjoyed anything else? Is this this my last appearance on this podcast? By any chance? Yeah. I'm trying to think. I seem to have managed to play most most of the games I played were actually not the ones you talked about so far. But now my brain has gone. I'm I'm just totally fixated upon the Minecraft robot. Yeah, it'd be brilliant. I mean, it'd be great if they put it on wheels as well, so it could have gone around serving people. That would have been great. That little R2-D2 with Minecraft. (laughs) Saw the little computer of Petro's voice on it. Yeah. Hey, offer you my drinks. (laughs) Yeah. It's very trendy because the Internet of Things, isn't it? That's that's, going to be the next games, environmental games. Yeah, I think Minecraft has become as, as much a language of play as it is a game, isn't it? It's a way people can communicate. Yeah, ideas. It's, a, it's a strange thing. From if you're not inside the Minecraft community, it's, it, you don't realise quite how much goes on inside it. And obviously, we had that whole thing with Flare Up recently with the server stuff, which most of us probably didn't realise existed. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, servers hosting their own, yeah, you know, their own mods and game modes, and then charging for them with microtransactions, which Mojang weren't happy with. Yeah, but yeah, it's, uh, I, uh, yeah, I, mean, I think that's a complicated area, and it's one of those things where well, it's going to become such an important part of game development and, and community management going forward. Because the more you invite people into the creative process, which is what a lot of developers are doing now, then the more you open yourself up to people monetizing what they're doing with your game. And, and can you really, if you have invited people into your world, giving them the tools to create, are you in a position then, a, a, a difficult moral, ethical and business area where you can say, no, you've got to stop that. Where do you draw the line? And do you only draw it at finance? It just seems... I mean, I mean, my question... Yeah. And, and with Minecraft especially, I mean, obviously it's got a, a tremendous, like, a tremendous young audience. Yeah. They understandably feel very protectable. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's true. And uh, yeah, I guess, I guess then it's something they've got to monitor, but maybe there's a way that they can do some licensing programs. I don't, I don't know. It feels like telling people they can't do something is like the sort of brute force approach. That, yeah. You know, well, I mean, that's, that's why people have been. I mean, you're, you're talking about giving more um, power to players, which is definitely something that's happening. But it's also, the re- but also that's, there's, there's reasons that people were reluctant to do that before, because the moment you give someone, you know, a level editor, they're going to use it to draw a giant clock. Yeah. I mean, is there like a, is there like a law? As a science did, law? on the live stream, in fact. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Look, that's how you complete that level. How many more times 
I think that there should be a sort of a cock law, like Newton's cock law of uh, creative freedom. Give people enough tools and eventually they'll draw their cock. I think there is like that time to cock. Kind of I, actually, I actually yeah. witnessed this firsthand once when um, cause I, was, I was at PC Gamer at um, the time that Spore was released and Tim Edwards made the first ever cock in Spore. At, at, and I think the first event it was being shown to press uh, press at within 15 minutes <laughs> I've actually ended up seeing the opposite side of that there was a, a, a YouTube event for this game here unfortunately I can't remember the name it starts with like a hash and it's like a, an on-screen mad arena sort of thing and you can uh, create your own characters uh, using the in-game pixel editor and use a QR code to share that around so basically they're doing this thing where they want people to send in their characters but nobody drew a cock. So for the entirety of this YouTube thing, I was like, is this what a cock? No. It was an ostrich or something. <laughs> yeah, massive cock-based disappointment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's bewildering when you don't get one. You, you're expecting one. You have to do it yourself, then. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, yeah, uh, we obviously witnessed Pip doing the start cock thing with uh, <laughs> uh, a nice, uh, good snowman. Even. Is it a good snowman? Yeah, it's a good snowman. A snowman is hard to build, which is a really nice version of the old classic coin-op uh, block-pushing games like uh, is it Pengu? Pengu and Sokoban? Yeah. So that's very good. Yeah, which I think we talked about a while back because we saw it at Rest as well. Oh, yeah. But, uh, the, new, the newest version, I think, is a little bit smooth. It was, uh, it's all, I heard a lot less swearing coming from the table this uh, time around. Let's well, put it that way. Yeah, the controls are slightly oversensitive, so it's very easy to push the snowball when you don't mean to, so they've got to work on that a bit. I think it's designed for keyboards now we're using it with a joypad and yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a little bit too sensitive again. yeah it could be yeah. but no it's, it's, it's really good it's uh, really impressive how many variations there are on yeah. like how many ways you can screw yourself over by accidentally making a snowball too much yeah yeah yeah, it's very good. I don't think I've seen a block sorting game where you could increase or decrease the sizes of the objects that you're manipulating either. Oh, actually, there is a, a really good, well, block-based puzzle game, if not sliding block puzzle, uh, called, well, it, yesterday, called, um, what's it called? Game with an R. Um, I'm going to have to find the yeah. actual name and put this in the text. But, um, where, <laughs> you just had like these red and uh, blue uh, blocks moving around the screen. Um, and you had the ability. And um, red. Uh, red Sorry? Is it redirection? Yes, it, I think it might be redirection, yeah. I, I think blue ones turn right when they reach an obstacle, left ones turn, uh, red ones turn left. Mm. And all you could do is place a certain amount of, reg, of blocks down that would get in their way and redirect them. Mm. Um, and then there were some really clever inventive puzzles based around that. Um, you eventually had to get them all into like, a, a zone which would take either a red block or a blue block. Um, and... It's, it was very simple, but the way it was like, increasingly complicated it went on to the point at which you were... Uh, because it, also they were 3D blocks, so it worked on two levels, which meant that you'd have, have sometimes have something up on the upper level, and you'd either have to put a block into bridge a gap, or you'd 
try and redirect one of the other blocks to be moving underneath it at a specific moment at which you will move over the top of it. Yeah. And other really clever stuff like that. So. I liked it. It felt like a less, a much less frantic choo-choo rocket. Yeah. You have your place in the directions and there are rules about the Yeah, the fact that it's got rewind time and pause. Yeah, and, and there's a pretty nice rewind mechanic in it. Pause and issue orders as well made it very sedate. Um, that's yeah. really interesting. I think lots of people seem to be rediscovering choo-choo rocket as the magnificent classic that it was. People seem to be, yeah, people seem to be rediscovering that. The other manic. great Dreamcast game. Sorry? The other great Dreamcast game. Yeah, well, I had a steady arm. There are lots of great Dreamcast games. <laughs> I mean, as in, in addition to the, to the like, two or three people we constantly talk about. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I, I wonder what would have happened. People would have been staggered. I don't think Sega could muster enough money nowadays. Maybe that's what they're going to bring down tomorrow. Oh my goodness, that's incredible. All like, Shenmue 3, obviously. I'll accept that. <laughs> yeah, it's not from Dreamcast 2. It's like, I, I realise it's quite ridiculous, and yet part of my brain still thinks it happen. Mm. It's just, it's it's just hopefulness. My, my brain well, the way Sega are going nowadays, if they made a new console, it'd be something, it, you know, most of the games on it would be like Company of Heroes. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what Sega do now. They make like. Uh, they, they make like PC strategy games <laughs> yeah yeah and diminishing returns on Sonic <laughs> yeah. which I find really I find really I, like, I played Sonic Boom for half an hour at E3 and um, I say it was quite disappointing to be honest I don't know if it was the level I was playing or but it just it just kind of feels lost there's only like two good Sonic games really I mean there's like, four good Sonic games four good Sonic games okay. at the very least well, which ones are those one to four <laughs> See, I actually count Sonic Chronicles, the Dark Brotherhood, the Bioware RPG they made. Oh, yeah. I really enjoyed that. I've also heard okay. some advocates of Sonic Rush on the DS. Yes, that's very tight. That is good. That's good. And so, you know, Sonic Generation has its moment. It's in the amount of Sonic games. Sonic Adventure has a lot of fans. Yeah. Sonic Adventure 2 is actually one of my all-time favourite games still. It was kind of a right time, right place thing, but I'm a massive Sonic fan girl anyway, so yeah. that, just, that just ticked a load of boxes for me. Yeah, it's a very interesting fan community. As I discovered when I ran the Alexander story on, oh, yes. uh, say, Sonic and fetishism and uh, uh, fan-based modification. Yes, if I ever log in back into my fan art account on DeviantArt, I, I get that sort of thing. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> Right, uh, I think we're probably going to have to wind up now, I think, if we're going to grab some food before we... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I've got, I'm supposed to help now with the rest of the events, so, uh, yeah. Oh, well, it's nice to have you all on anyway, and hopefully we'll see more interesting stuff tomorrow, but we can't remember what it's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> That's how good I am at organising. <laughs> we might end up talking about um, uh, the next podcast with their audience. I'm sure she'll see this game all day. <laughs> Alright, bye everyone. Bye. Bye bye.